So the actual uh, real story about how Matt and I met is that uh, Matt was new in seventh grade, right? So this is Dean's oldest son, and he was a new kid on the block, and I saw him waiting outside our uh, school, and we kind of waited outside the middle school before we would go in, and he had his trombone case with him. And, and I, you know, I was a decent junior high trombone player, so I started to get a little bit nervous. Like, what if Matt's on my corner? So, so I went up to him and pretended to be nice. Like, I was just feeling him out. Who is this guy? Okay, moved here from Minnesota. I told him where to take his trombone because he looked like a nerd uh, standing out there on the corner. And then it turned out that he wasn't any good at all. Uh, but then it turned out he was really good at basketball and far better than me at that. And so then we became friends on the basketball team a little bit later that year. But uh, like Dean said, my name is uh, Paul Brandis. I am thrilled to be here with you. I've got a picture of my family um, for you this morning. This is uh, my beautiful wife, Ashley. And we've got uh, two boys, Bevan and Owen. Somehow Owen turned two this week and uh, Bevan is turning four in April. Um, like Dean said, I graduated in 2011. Um, and, uh, and my wife graduated in 09. I got my master's at a school in the Chicagoland area where I'm from. Uh, and since uh, 2014, I've been serving at Christ Community Church uh, in Kansas City. One of the things that our church does, you, you might have heard about, several Sterling students have gone through it, is the Marketplace Fellowship Program. So we take just graduated college students into a nine-month immersive leadership development program. You get paired. Um, you have to apply and get the job, but we make inroads for you um, in your field, in your industry, and you get a paid internship, and you go and you live with the, uh, the other uh, fellows that are in this program. Josh Landis has gone through it. Jason Pritchard has gone through it. Um, currently, we have Bradley Delalo who's going through it. So if you're a senior or a junior and interested in this, email chris at kansascityfellows.com. Um, really, really would encourage this program. And I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, I, I listened to a lot of chapels uh, in this very auditorium. It had uglier seats back then, um, uh, but a lot of good things happened in my life here, and I hope that's what can happen this morning. But it can only happen if God shows up. And so would you please pray with me um, that he would show up this morning. Father in heaven, thank you so much uh, for the generosity of this institution, um, inviting me back here. I'm so grateful for what this school has meant in my life, both in, in educating me and then an opportunity to come and preach your word this morning, Lord. Uh, and I pray that I'd get out of the way. I pray that the Holy Spirit um, would invade me and invade this place this morning. That might be, uh, feel like it's hard to happen at 10 a.m. On a, on a Wednesday morning when we're all tired and need a little bit more coffee. Um, but I believe, Lord, I believe that your Holy Spirit can do that. And so I pray I would diminish as you increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I grew up in the 90s. I was born in 89, so my formative years were in the 90s. And one of my favorite movies then, and honestly, if, I, if I'm being honest with you this morning, one of my favorite movies right now is the animated classic, The Lion King. Right, and it's, it's making a comeback. Okay, okay, thank you. So, so a few of you know, right, this, this is going to be a live action uh, movie later this year, but I love the animated classic, one of my favorites. How can you not love the humor of Timon and Pumbaa? And I, I'm ready to see Beyonce play Nala, right? But, but how can you not love when that romance buds between Nala and Simba for the first time? Folks, can you feel the love tonight, right? That's right. Now, my two sons, Bevan and Owen, who you've met by way of picture, they aren't quite old enough to watch the entire feature film yet. Some of those scenes with Scar are scary, y'all, right? I mean, we're not, we're not ready for that in the Brandis household, but they do love watching the songs on YouTube, and they're four and two, so you know that that means that they watch them not once, 
not twice, but over and over and over again. And about the 900th and 32nd time that we listen to I Just Can't Wait to Be King, which is one of their favorites, something about the Lion King occurred to me that had never occurred to me before. The Lion King is about freedom. It's about freedom. It's, it's not exclusively about freedom, but it's one of the major themes in the movie. I mean, just take a look at the beginning of I Just Can't Wait to Be King. No one's saying, stop that. No one's saying, see here. Free, right? Free to run around all day. Free to do it all my way. Simba imagines a future where he's the king. Which, of course, in his mind, and, and in actuality, if he's the king, then no one will be able to tell him no ever again. Total freedom. He won't have any rules. There will be no restrictions. There will be no constraints. Freedom. And I, I wonder if one of the reasons why the Lion King has been so massively successful is because we can all relate to Simba's quest for freedom. Can't we? I know I can relate. Now, our stories aren't exactly the same. My, my uncle did not try to kill my father to take my place as successor to the throne, right? I don't have Simba's story, but in my, in my own way, I can relate to his quest for freedom. Maybe you're with me. Don't you want freedom? Financial freedom, freedom with our time, freedom from worry, freedom from others, freedom from the self-talk that happens in our mind. We just sang about that this morning. You say, but, but what do I say? I want freedom from that. Freedom. And the Apostle Paul, he knew about this journey for freedom. In so many ways, the, the New Testament book of Galatians, which is where we'll find our passage this morning, Galatians chapter 5, so much of that book, the entire thing, is about freedom. What it is and how we get it. The Apostle Paul introduces the theme of freedom early on in the letter of Galatians, and then he returns to it in Galatians 5.1 in, in full force. And what Paul says, what the Apostle Paul says about freedom is just a tad different than what the Lion King says about freedom. Shockingly, I know. Freedom doesn't come from being king so that you can set all the rules and freedom doesn't come from pretending that the rules and the problems don't exist. I mean, isn't that the core of Timon and Pumbaa's Akuna Matata philosophy? Just pretend that it's not really there. Ignore it, and then you'll be free. No, the Apostle Paul says that true freedom comes from Jesus. Or, or I might say it this way. Only Jesus can set you truly free. Only Jesus can set you truly free. A and I know... I, I'm, I might have just lost some of you because that's a really churchy thing to say. I'm a pastor, so you're like, well, of course you're going to say that only Jesus can set you truly free. I didn't see that one coming, Paul. But don't tune me out just yet. I'm pulling this right from our text. Look at Galatians 5.1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You're free now because of Jesus, Paul says to the original recipients of this letter. Don't go back, he says. Don't return. Any other way of living is slavery, even if it feels like freedom. Don't go back. That, that last part is so key. Any other way of living other than freedom with Jesus 
is slavery, even if it feels like freedom. And that point, that point is so key to our cultural context, and it's why I want to invite you, and it's, I actually want to beg you this morning, don't tune me out. Because this isn't even me speaking, right? This is what Paul says. This is what God says through Paul in Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set you free. And here's the deal. Folks, friends, this morning, you might not be as free as you think you are. It's not great news out of the gate, I know, but I have to level with you this morning. You might not be as free as you think you are. It's fascinating to me how free we think we've become in our culture. After all, we sing about it at sporting events, don't we? We live in what? We live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And it really, to me, in our world today, it seems like we kind of only have two rules left. There's only two. If you abide by these two rules, then you're going to be good to go. The first rule is this. Be true to yourself. Right? Be true to yourself. That's what our culture, that's what our world, that's what our media screams at us. Be true to who you are. That's rule number one. And while you're doing that, while you are living by rule number one of being true to yourself, here's the second rule. Don't hurt anybody. Do no harm. Be true to yourself and do no harm. Those are the two rules that are left in our culture. Ah, the sweet taste of freedom. We finally made it after all these years. But have we? I'm not so sure. (laughs) Depression, stress, anxiety are at all-time highs. And so many of the people that I meet, I don't know about you, but so many of the people that I meet are wandering. Our culture's definition of freedom has left them as a ship without a rudder. They're searching desperately for direction, for purpose, for meaning. Because what does be true to yourself even actually mean? When I hear that, the first thing I think of is, which version of myself? Am I to be true to 10-year-old Paul? What about about 14-year-old Paul? That was the year that I first ate Chipotle, and I hated it. I know. (laughs) Exactly. This is my point. If I have to be true to that version of myself, does it mean that I no longer like Chipotle? Because the lunch that I had yesterday says no. I had too much. Right? What, am, am I true to 17-year-old Paul? That guy was the worst. Dean knows. He was there. Am I true to the current version of myself? What, what about the future version of myself? I haven't even met that guy yet. I suppose the answer is that we, well, you, okay, that's a good point. You just have to be true to the current version of yourself, who you are today. I don't know about you, that sounds really tiring. That sounds really exhausting to me. And I I just wonder, is there a better way? Is there a better way? Is there a better rule to live by than be true to yourself? The truth is that people change a lot. So how can we be true to ourselves? Or or how about our do no harm rule? Our culture loves that one, do no harm. And it sounds really good in theory. I'm like, yes, sign me up. I don't want to hurt anybody. It sounds so good in theory. But as author and pastor Tim Keller points out, who gets to define what harm is? Who gets to define that? Have Have we been able to agree on a universal definition of harm? 
And maybe you think we have. Maybe you're like, harm is obvious. We know what that is. We know it when we see it. I don't know. Keller uses the example of pornography to make his point. The quote reads this way. One person says that it harms no one for a man to consume pornography privately in his own home. Other people counter, however, that pornography will shape how he talks and acts with others, especially with women. Beneath these different conclusions about harm lie different understandings of the right and wrong way for individuals to relate to community. In other words, any decision about what happens, what, about what harms others is rooted in a specific view of human nature, of happiness, of right and wrong, each of which is a matter of faith. So even if we all agree that freedom should be curtailed if it harms people, and we all do agree that, absolutely, since we can't agree on what harm is, there's not a universal definition, then the principle ends up being useless in practice. So where does this leave us? If being true to ourselves is exhausting, since we're always changing, and if we cannot agree on a universal definition of harm, do these true rules really work? Do they really bear themselves out, or do they break down at a certain point? We might not be as free as we think we are. We might not be as free as we think we are. I look around and I see addictions to food, sex, our cell phones, video games, Netflix, approval, drugs, porn, Snapchat. We're alcoholics, shopaholics, workaholics. We have more money than ever and more debt. We have more time-saving devices, and yet we've never been more burned out, never been more stressed by our schedules. We have access to an endless stream of humans. Swipe right. And yet we're so terribly alone. We have unlimited sexual freedom, and yet there is so much incredible abuse, brokenness, and heartache. We think freedom is doing whatever we want to do with no constraints. It's not. That's not true freedom. It's just another sneaky form of slavery. We think true freedom is doing whatever we want to do. Nobody can tell us no. That actually ends up being just a sneaky form of slavery. You see, true freedom, and I wish, I wish I had learned this younger. True freedom is doing what you were meant to do. True freedom is being who you were created to be. That's what true freedom is. One of my son Owen's favorite books is Global Baby Boys. This is a, a wonderful children's book. It takes you around the globe with, with pictures of baby boys from different cultures, different countries, and it talks about all that baby boys are. They're fun. They're smart. They're curious. They're, they're really annoying. It doesn't say that. But they are. <laughs> I mean, I tell you what, as a parent, like, you both, like, love your children and want to be with them all the time and then, like, don't want to be with them. It's like this weird tension. It happens. They're great. I'm also glad I'm here just with my wife. The last line of the book, this is the last line. And it, I flipped the page the first time we read it, and I couldn't believe it. Baby boys can grow up to do anything. Baby boys can grow up to do anything, and that is our culture's definition of freedom. You can be whoever you want. You can do whatever you want. If you aim high enough, no one's going to hold you down. The only thing that's going to hold you back is you. When I was 10, I wanted nothing more in the world to be a professional baseball player. Was that going to happen? I can't hit a fastball over 75 miles an hour. 
So I can't really do anything. I can't really be anything. And so every time that I read this book, and, and hey, I'm a total nerd, but every time I read this book, I change the ending. Baby boys can grow up to be exactly who God created them to be. And at some point, Bevan's going to be able to read and go, Dad, that's not what the book says. But we have to do better. And I know for me, in our house, we are going to work as much as we can to press in against our culture's, our culture's harmful definition of freedom. Because it's bankrupt. There's not freedom there, only slavery. You see, we're a lot like a train on the tracks, right? The train on the tracks. The train says, stupid tracks, always telling me what to do, where to go. One day, I'll show these tracks, I'll be totally free. Really? Listen, you may have shrugged off all the constraints. You may be a train that hopped off the tracks, but this is what you're headed for. It doesn't make you free. You might not be as free as you think you are. And actually, this morning, it gets a little bit worse before it gets better, because you might not be as free as you think you are. And, and then the Apostle Paul makes this point abundantly clear. Number two, you can't free yourself. Number one, you might not be as free as you think you are. And number two, you can't free yourself. And this is essentially why Paul wrote the entire letter of Galatians. Because the central problem in this church was that there, are a group, there was a group of people who were arguing this. They were saying, hey, you know what? Jesus is great, but, but he's not enough to really be saved, to actually get into God's family, to truly experience freedom. You also have to become Jewish. And you have to be circumcised. And it's not just that this teaching was present in the church. It's that this teaching was taking hold. People were agreeing with this teaching and they were acting on it. Which means, and do not miss the insanity of this with me this morning. Don't miss it. It means that non-Jewish people wanted freedom so badly that they were willing to get circumcised to get it. Can you imagine? And even though that does sound completely ridiculous to us, I believe we do the same thing in our own way. We try to be free by ourselves. We try to make ourselves be good enough. We try to earn our way back to God. We think that if we do this or have that, then I'll finally be free. And Paul attacks this self-salvation, self-freedom project, the entire book of Galatians. And most powerfully, he attacks it here in our passage this morning. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Paul says this, look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the entire law. You will be severed from Christ. You, would, you who would be justified by the law and you have fallen away from grace. Don't miss the pun. Did you catch it? Paul says this, you think you're only cutting off part of your body? But what you're actually doing is cutting yourself off from Jesus. Feel the weight of that with me this morning. For our salvation, for our freedom, if we add anything to Jesus, we cut ourselves off from him and we fall from grace. 
That's why Paul takes this so seriously. It's actually incredible. Later on in this passage, if you have it open, you can look down to verse 12. He actually says, he, he identifies the group of people that is, that is preaching this message, that is saying to, to this church, yes, Jesus is great, but you also have to be circumcised. You also have to add to Jesus. He identifies that group of people, and he says that he actually wishes they would go farther and emasculate themselves. Galatians 5.12. Right? It's in there. The Bible is not G-rated. It's a disgusting analogy. It's a disgusting point. But Paul drives it home because this is so serious to him. This matters. This is not tiddlywinks. This is life or death. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And Paul knows that. He knows that this is bankrupt. He knows that this is broken. He knows that if people go this way, if they try to add something, anything to Jesus, that they're going to sever themselves from Jesus and fall away from grace. And he doesn't want that to happen. So he drives at it over and over again in this letter. You can't free yourself. And when you try to free yourself, you end up losing everything. And we experience this, don't we? How's your self-freedom project going? How many times have you said, I'm I'm, going to be better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to make that change. I'm going to grow in this area. How many times have you said those things only to fail miserably? It's it's February 13th. Is anyone still doing New Year's resolutions? A couple of you nodded. Will you be by April? Maybe, but probably not. We can't free ourselves. Remember, what does Galatians 5.1 teach us? Only Jesus can set you truly free. But how does he do that? How does he set us free? Well, verse 5 of our passage provides the answer. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Jesus sets us free through the Holy Spirit by faith. And our faith propels us to a position of excited anticipation. We eagerly await for the fullness of our new lives in Jesus. And that word fullness is key. Because following Jesus means that we we do experience life, new life, now, today, but only in part, not in whole. Only in part, not in whole. Which means that we also ought to eagerly look forward to the day coming when we will experience in all its beautiful fullness. And the posture of active waiting that Paul talks about in Galatians 5.5 5 is so key to our conversation about freedom because eagerly waiting on the return of Jesus is a daily choice. Eagerly waiting on the return of Jesus is a daily choice to say no to ourselves and say yes to him. That's what it means to eagerly wait, to anticipate his return. Say no to yourself and say yes to him, which doesn't sound like freedom. Wait a How is that freedom? If I'm saying no to myself, how is that freedom? But what we discover in Galatians is that true freedom isn't the absence of constraints. It's about finding the right constraints. True freedom isn't about jumping off the tracks. It's about finding the right tracks. And so our daily choice, our daily choice is to be a slave or a servant. We can be slaves to our bank accounts, to the opinions of others, to our friends. We can be slaves to our screen. We can be slaves to 
our grades. We can be slaves to our future careers. We can be slaves to our families. We can be slaves to fill in the blank. Or by choice, we can be a servant to Christ. We can live in Jesus' yoke with him as our master. We can live in Jesus' kingdom. We can live under Jesus' law. And do you know what Jesus' law is? Jesus' law is love. That's the one law in Jesus' kingdom. Love. True, sacrificial love. And this is exactly where Paul goes next in Galatians 5. Your freedom is about love. Listen, you might not be as free as you think you are, and you can't free yourself, but thanks be to God that he can free you and did offer a way towards freedom through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you accept that, right, if you press into that, if you trust Jesus, then, hey, you're free, and now your freedom is about love. Galatians 5, 6 for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accounts for anything but what? Only faith working through love. Friends, listen, don't miss it. You and I, we were made for love. Love is the train tracks that we were made for. Love is where we flourish. Everything in our culture says that freedom is about you. You do you, be true to yourself, follow your heart, pursue your freedom for you, but it's not working. Almost no one is happy, but everything that we get from Jesus says that your freedom is about others. Your freedom is far more about the people that are sitting next to you today than it is about you. Galatians 5 verses 13 and 14, for you were called to freedom brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' law is love. Your freedom is about love. It's about loving as Jesus loved, forgiving as he forgave, giving because you have received, sacrificing and taking second because he laid down his life for you. And friends, this is the better way. This is the better way. Servanthood to Christ is far better than slavery to anything else. Servants of Jesus are free to love as Jesus loved. And that's the key. We're free to love as Jesus loved. This isn't my love we're talking about here. This isn't your love we're talking about here. Our love's gonna fall short. But when you surrender to Christ, when, when you become his servant, when you throw off your shackles and sign up as a servant of Jesus, it's God's love that flows through your veins and out into the world. God's love. And God's love has turned the world upside down already transformed lives it's brought dead people back to life our love can't do anything but god's love can imagine imagine the world with me where there were more of us that threw off our shackles of slavery and became servants to christ freedom through faith that expresses itself in love that changes the world freedom through faith in Jesus that expresses itself in love that changes the world. Imagine that world with me. You know, I think all of this boils down to the difference between Winky and Dobby. You with me? No? 
Well, let me explain. Winky and Dobby are characters from Harry Potter. They're the, the house elves. With me? No? Okay. Yeah, okay. Three of you. Great. I'll keep going. You see, house elves in the Harry Potter universe are slaves by birth. Slaves by birth. They're not servants. They're slaves. But throughout the course of the book series, both Winky and Dobby are given their freedom. And yet Winky hates it. She doesn't know what to do with it. She believes that she's lost her purpose, and so she spends her life drinking in laziness and despair. She both exploits her freedom and yet resents it at the same time. And you feel so sad for Winky. She might be the most tragic character in the entire series. She might be. But Dobby? Dobby might. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, is that Gollum? <laughs> Trust me, he's great. <laughs> He might be my favorite character in the entire series. Dobby was slave to a wicked master. He was mistreated, abused, despised, but Harry Potter sets him free. And what does Dobby do? Dobby bursts with joy, with hope, with love, and Dobby serves Harry Potter, not because he has to, but because he can't imagine doing anything else. Dobby loves Harry. He trusts him, and there is nothing that Dobby wouldn't do for him because Dobby is free to love, to serve, to save which is where Dobby's story arc ends. It's a fantastic scene in the final book. Harry Potter, it looks like he's finally going to go down. It looks bad for him. And in the 11th hour, Dobby shows up to save the day. And the climax of the entire scene is Dobby confronting the person that wants to kill Harry Potter. And this is what he says. Dobby is a free elf. And he has come to save Harry Potter and his friends. And it costs him his life. Dobby dies in that scene, spending his freedom in loving service of others, which I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like Jesus to me. No one was freer than Jesus, who himself was God. Because who is freer than God? But Jesus, in love, spent his freedom for you. To set you free from your slavery. And so now the question is, how will you spend your freedom that Jesus ransomed for you? Will it be for you or will it be for others? Are you a Dobby or are you a Winky? Not a question I thought I'd ever ask in a sermon. Are you a slave to yourself or are you a servant of Christ? How will you spend your freedom? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are good to us. Thank you that we don't have to remain slaves, but that we can be servants, that we can be free for freedom. Christ set us free. It's not because of us, but it's for us. Thank you for Jesus who made that possible by his life, death, and resurrection. May we trust in his story by the power of the Holy Spirit and find true and lasting freedom in that spot. I pray for each and every one of these students, and I ask them to be able to get to class on time. Amen. <laughs>